are we going to have to listen to this election coverage every night? It's an election year. Churches and their members swing from isolation to total immersion in politics and government, from thinking that politics is the great Satan or the Savior. What happens when we turn to the Apostle Paul's advice to young first-century Roman believers living in the ruling capital of the world? Our passage is Romans 13, 1-7, and the title of our study is God's Servant from Law Enforcement to Taxes. It's only, what is it, only January, and this is the longest election campaign season that we've ever had, and all the way to November, we're going to have that. Well, I was raised in a family that not only considered politics and stuff to be boring, but I was raised in a family where politics was considered to be evil. In fact, just to give you an idea that I was raised back in New Jersey, and one of my friends, one of our family friends, was running for the governor of New Jersey. He went to a a crusade where someone shared with him about the cross of Jesus, about the resurrection, kind of like you've all seen the Billy Graham crusades, and they sing at the end, just as I am, without one plea. And my friend's little granddaughter grabbed him by the hand, and my friend received Jesus into his heart. His life was totally transformed. He came to know my dad, and my dad's very first advice to him was, you need to get out of that wicked career. And you need to get and earn an honest living. And uh, my friend actually did resign from politics, and the Lord really did use him. But that'll give you an idea. Obviously, I was raised in a evangelicalism and a biblical Christianity long before Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell was a really good personal friend of my dad's. In fact, Pat Robertson was saved under the influence of my dad's ministry. Remember in the 60s and the early 70s, especially after Roe versus Wade, evangelicals suddenly were called, we need to re-enter politics. And so now, most of us, we live in a world where all the presidential candidates have to talk about you. And they're all trying to figure out what an evangelical is. And when I was raised as a kid, politics was the big Satan. Now, there's many of my friends that think that politics is the savior. In fact, how many of you, after an election, have ever felt, I don't know, the country's doomed? You see, what you're buying into is that the country rises or falls with governmental leaders. Well, what I want you to know is that, is that contrary to the fact that, that thinking that through politics you're going to bring salvation to mankind or that politics is somehow the great demonic force, the Bible teaches in Romans 13 neither one of those options, but it teaches that the Lord God of heaven has given us government has given us those that are over us, from law enforcement officers all the way to tax collectors. And boy, is that convicting. I, you know, I have to pay my county taxes at the end of this month. How many of you are getting ready to do that? And then we start working on our income tax. And so that's what we want to do is turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, and we're going to find out, and we, the reason we invited all of our governmental officials and all those that are involved in public service that include school teachers and those that are working in the school system, that whole broad array, we want you to know that as a group of believers, that what we believe from the Word of God, we need to look at Romans 13. How many of you believe that the Bible is breathed out by God? Anybody believe that? Okay, you can talk about that all you want to, and I can, 
But do we really want to put into action what Romans 13 says? The Romans chapter 13, verse 1, begins with a tough command. And I want you to look at that. It says, submit yourselves. Submit yourself to the governing authorities. You see that? And it tells us that we need to do that. It says, everyone. Notice it doesn't just say one small group of Americans or one small group of Britishers or one small group of Africans. It says, everyone must submit himself And that would include herself as well, so you ladies aren't off the hook. You are to submit yourself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. I want you to understand, and just to put it in context, and to help you to feel what the Apostle Paul is working with, is the Apostle Paul is running to a church that was right at the center of world power. Nero, the, the emperor, is ruling. It's in the early days, the first half of his reign which was one of the best periods in Roman history. Augustus had settled things, things that kind of come out of the days of of, uh, Titus, uh, I mean, not of of Vespasian and those that were in rule before. Uh, You went through this weird period with, uh, with other Roman emperors, and then Nero comes to power, and the first half of his reign was marvelous, and that's when Paul's writing. But I don't want you to have a naive idea that the Roman believers didn't wrestle with a tough totalitarian government. Because, for example, there had been a a decree in the late 40s that sent all the Jews out of Rome. And at that time, believers like yourself were, were were believed to be just part of this great Jewish thing. And so Priscilla and Aquila, for example, had to leave their business in Rome and go to Corinth. How many of you would like it if the government suddenly told you, you got to get up and leave? Would that give you some hard feelings? Yeah, you bet, okay? I also want to know that there were oppressive taxes. In fact, in 58 AD, which is about a year after the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans to the Roman believers, there was a big tax revolt in the city of Rome because of the oppression of the taxes that were being leveled against the people. And so what I want you to know is that the Apostle Paul is not writing in this idealistic world where everything is working the way that it should, But he still lays out the normative principles. And what I want you to realize is that Romans 13 is not absolute commands. You need to know other sections of God's word, and I'll try to give you a way to approach that. Because this text is not saying that absolutely, under every circumstance, we need to obey those that are in government authority over us. For example, just to give you a horrendous example... The German church was taught in pre-World War II days that Romans 13 was absolute. And that combined with German nationalism after this horror of the Weimar Republic where there was anarchy and a little short man that had this little mustache said, hey, we can bring prosperity back, we can bring order back. And millions of believers like ourselves just obeyed. And they obeyed all the way to having six and a half million Jews that were killed. So that was an abuse of this passage, a very extreme abuse, but it's something we need to understand. So I want you to have this big picture, and I want you to be thinking, as the Holy Spirit lives in my life, how should I approach governmental authorities? And the attitude that we need to have, the spirit that we need to have, is that we submit ourselves to the governing authorities that are over us, all of us. What does it mean to submit yourself? That is a word that, as Americans, we don't like 
fact, I would say one of the greatest needs in America today is for submission. We don't believe in submission anymore. We believe in individualism. We believe in everybody leaving me alone, and I don't have to submit to anybody. Anybody have that kind of a spirit in your life at all? Do you ever feel like, I don't have to listen to anybody? Kids, do you ever feel that? How many of you adults ever feel that way? I don't have to listen to them. My dad used to drive a brand-new Chrysler. He says, man, you know, those speed limits weren't made for brand-new Chryslers. Anybody use that argument? <laughs> now, look at this verse carefully. I want you to notice it doesn't say that the policemen or the judges or the governors are supposed to make us submit. I want you to look at this verse carefully. It doesn't say, now, every one of you, all of you governmental officials, make the people submit. Now, that's the way that a Roman emperor would think. By the way, a Roman emperor wouldn't think you were anything. Most of you in the Church of Rome would have been slaves anyway. More than half the Church of Rome were slaves. The Roman emperor wouldn't have given them a time of day. Now, I want you to notice something. The Apostle Paul tells believers that know Jesus that they are to freely submit themselves. You know what that says? That you as an individual are free. The ultimate freedom in the world is the fact that God gave his son to die for you. I want you to know that you live in a world where God respects every one of your individuality so much that you have to decide what you'll do with the gift of God. A lot of unbelievers get mad at me and they say, well, you know, you're determining how people get to heaven or they don't. I want you to know I don't determine how anybody gets to heaven and how they don't. God does. All that I do is lay out for you, and I would challenge you. A lot of unbelievers that talk to me about that, they've really never read what God actually does say about how you get to heaven and how you don't, and who's going to be in hell and who isn't. I'm not the one that decides that. So don't get mad at maybe a preacher that let you down and you thought he was a hypocrite or she was, because all of you know deep in your heart, Jesus is pretty significant, and you owe it to yourself to read carefully what he said, the Romans is a great place to start. What I want to see in this verse is Paul respects you as an individual. Every one of you, even in the first century, their personhood was accepted. And by the way, that's the beginning of the modern world, the seed of the modern world, because Paul lived in a culture where they didn't respect individuals. They just caused you to do whatever you wanted to do. You were controlled. You were manipulated. You weren't viewed by the Roman gentry and the Roman officials as being people. But the early church understood, I am God's child. I make decisions. And Paul comes to them and says, you have to decide in your own heart. You're all free because you're God's children. In fact, the Bible teaches one day you're going to be ruling even over the angels, which is incredible. And for some of you, including me, the Lord's got a long way to go before we're ready to rule angels, right? But I want every one of you to know that if you've invited Jesus in your heart, that you're an incredible person that's been chosen by God, and you are a free agent. And God comes to you and says, you need to willingly put yourself under the governing authorities. It's something that the Lord has given you. And your attitude should be that I recognize this as a gift that's been given me. So if you're like the teenagers that I raised in my house, when you give a command like that, I want you to submit yourselves to all the governing authorities. My teenagers raised my hand and they asked, what question? Why? 
So the Lord says, I'm glad you asked that question. Look what he says. He says, because there is no authority except that which is established by God. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Paul, first of all, said that there's a command and submit. Now we tell us the source of governing authority. Now I want you to know that we live in a culture where it's often thought that the separation of church and state means that God is eliminated from the state. And that's not at all what it means, the separation of church and state. And that's not all. If you read the founding documents, they, our founding fathers didn't think of a secular state at all. They were, most of them were Virginia Anglicans and New England Congregationalists. And even Ben Franklin, who was, you know, you know, kind of a free spirit in some ways, wouldn't have ever dreamed of a government that didn't recognize that there is a supreme Lord that is a source of authority. That's why we have documents that say, and we're endowed by our creator. So one of the things I want you to understand is that the separation of church and state means that the church is one institution. I'm going to close by talking about the difference between the purpose of the church and the purpose of the government. But what the Bible's laying out is that God has ordained the church and we have a responsibility in the world. The Lord has also ordained the governments of the world. And you, most of you are United States citizens, so this would apply to the governmental officials right here in our town, right here in Ellis County, right in Waxahachie in our county seat, right to our governor, right to the mayor of Dallas, those of you that work in, in Dallas and over in Fort Worth. What it's saying here is that all of those governing authorities, who put them in that position of power? What does Paul say? God did. Now, I want you to know, if you're from a Jewish background, that that's an old Jewish revelation. You say, well, man, you know, this governmental official, they're an atheist. They don't believe in God. So God couldn't have possibly put them in their position of authority. Well, I want you to know that in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel in the fifth chapter, Belteshazzar is the, probably the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He's a pagan. He doesn't believe in Israel's God at all. And the writing comes on the wall. And you know what the writing on the wall said? Belteshazzar didn't believe at all in Daniel's God. But Daniel's God existed. What I want you to know is, is that what I believe is that there's, a, there's an ultimate creator God that is the father of Adam and Eve. He's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the father of David. He's the Lord and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want you to know is that he's sovereign over the kingdoms of the world, not only the United States, but everywhere. And there's a powerful verse in Daniel that says, and he puts over the thrones, the governing places, the seats of authority. He puts over the affairs of men, whoever he desires. I want everyone of you to know, if you're a governmental official, if you work in our schools, if you're a policeman, if you're a tax collector, I want every one of you to know that there's a personal living God that puts you in that position. And it doesn't make any difference whether you believe that or not. It's just the way it is. Like I was a chemist in college. You can believe whatever you want to about what happens when you pour sulfuric acid on your hand. It doesn't make any difference. Pour it on your hand, it burns. It's just reality. Well, this is a healing, not a burning thing, although it's a convicting thing that the Lord God puts over us whomever he desires. 
That's one of the reasons why we as a church family, we need to think hard about that. Like if you're a student, it relates right to your teacher in school. Why shouldn't you be disrespectful towards a teacher? Let's just down to the nitty-gritty. Because God ordained that teacher to be over you. And so you need to be respectful to God. And the way that you express that is you're respectful to the governing authority that the Lord has placed over you. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, okay, now what's going to happen if we don't recognize this? He says, if you don't listen to what I'm teaching you today and you go out into the world, and I'll be honest with you, I've been here a long time. I know some of you. Some of you, when some of our law enforcement officers pull you over, you're not nice. You're not submissive. And one of the things that I want to communicate to all of the governmental officials, we want to ask your forgiveness. And I would ask, representing our church family, I would want to ask your forgiveness for when we've been disrespectful. Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. You know, if you're rushing to get to work and you're going 70 miles an hour and one of our law enforcement officers pulls you over, it's easy to get ticked. And so that what I'm sharing is that's the nitty-gritty. The Apostle Paul is saying that that's wrong. And it's wrong for Dave and it's wrong for you. And one of the burdens is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to really listen to what Paul is saying so that we leave And our government officials start knowing whenever I meet somebody from Midlothian Bible Church, they're going to submit to me. I don't have to be afraid they're going to pull a pistol on me or they're going to hit me with their fist. But instead, they're going to be respectful. They're going to submit to me. You say, well, Dave, why should I do that? Well, Paul's very practical. He doesn't just say ethereally, although he does say, hey, ultimately God will deal with you, which he will. But he gets down to the nitty-gritty. Look what he says. Why should I obey governing authorities? He says the authority that exists have been established by God. Look at the, next, the verse. Consequently, if he or she re- rebels against that authority, he's rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, Paul's going to explain that. What does it mean to bring judgment on yourselves? For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he or she will commend you. The one in authority will commend you. What's the Apostle Paul is saying? It's a normative principle. It's not talking about Nazi SS troops that Tori Kemboom is trying to keep Jewish people hiding in her closet from being sent to Auschwitz. That's not what Paul is talking about. There's another command. The apostles say we've got to obey God rather than men. Do you understand that? It's really important. But one of the things I want you to think hard about, in our society, we use the extreme to nullify the normative principle. We use extreme situations to nullify very simple, clear normative command that you understand deep in your heart. And this is what it's saying. I'm driving this morning, just to make it really concrete. It says, I'm driving this morning. And I suddenly look down, and my truck is going 70 miles an hour. And good night. Why was I doing that? Because I wanted to be here when our governing officials got here. I had a quick, you know, jam on the brakes, get back down to where it was supposed to be at 55. How many of you wrestle with that? Okay. How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? 
How do you respond when you get a speeding ticket? And I want to ask you, how many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket when you are totally within the speed limit? Probably some of you have. But how many of you worry? Like Mary is my co-pilot. You've heard me discuss that over the years. Mary will often say, watch your speed. How do I feel when I look down and my speed is right on and I see one of the state troopers out there? How do I feel if I'm right on the speed limit? If my car's in inspection, everything's all right? You know what? I go right by at 55 miles an hour or if it's 60 miles an hour. I don't have any fear at all. But if I'm going 80, I smash on the brake. Why? Because I fear. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. What it's saying, this is a very important principle. I want to talk to you about, Paul is talking about being afraid to break the law. I told you our society has real problems with submission. Submission is not that I nullify my personhood. I'm not an individual. It's just the opposite. When I'm really an individual free before the Lord, then I'm able to put myself under the institutions that God has given me. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that God's children shouldn't need to be afraid of the governing authorities if they obey the law. But if you cheat on your income taxes, you should be afraid of the IRS. That's what it's saying. In fact, what Paul is saying is what I've got to start filling out my income tax and I make one decision after another, is this work-related or is this not? Was this dinner out at this restaurant, was it really about Midlothian Bible Church? How many of you have ever had to make those decisions? All of you that are in self-employed. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that I should be afraid, I should have a legitimate fear in my heart towards breaking and not being totally honest in that regard. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, and I want you to know, now listen, you should never be afraid of me as a pastor teacher. You should respect me, but you should not be afraid of me. But you see those guys back there with those uniforms on? Everybody in this room should have a healthy fear of them. If you're breaking into somebody's house and they come up with their lights going, what I want you to know, the Apostle Paul says they have a right to have a gun at their side and as they enter a dangerous situation under legitimate authority, they have a right to use the sword. You say, Dave, where do you get that from? Look what it says. It says, if it says for he had, look at verse 4, for he is God's servant to do what is good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant. He's an agent of wrath to bring about punishment for wrongdoers. All the law enforcement officers and those that are involved in the court system need to understand something. The difference in the church, and I want you to think really hard about this. There's a major confusion in our society about this. The ethic that I'm under as an individual believer, what I live under as an individual believer is I'm to love my enemies. I'm to do good to those that persecute me. That makes sense? In fact, next week we're going to go on and talk about us that love is the fulfillment of the law. 
We ended our last discussion together with the Lord telling you as an individual believer, don't take individual revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. One of the questions that the teenager asked him is, where does God express his wrath? And I'm using wrath of a holy, just cause. Remember I closed last week and I told you about a daddy? One of their children had been assaulted. And I shared that the daddy wanted to kill the people that assaulted his child. Grisham wrote a book about a man whose precious daughter was raped, violently beat up, dragged behind a truck till she was dead, and then hung up dead in a tree. And the time to kill is all about a daddy in the deep south that blew away the two men that killed his daughter. That's a tough issue. Grisham is a Sunday school teacher. He's wrestling with what real life is about. I think it's his best book. It wrestles with that issue. What does Paul say? Paul is saying... Paul is saying that the daddy is not supposed to take personal revenge. So who is? Are those two guys that did that supposed to just run free? Are they supposed to get off? And the crucial thing in that book is that the court system is so deranged and all about money and bribery, which the Bible has a lot to say, and all about racism because it was an African-American girl that got killed by two white guys, that the daddy feels there will be no justice. So one of the things that all of us need to realize today is that the government, the political system, is the place where there is the use of a sword against really evil people. I want you to know that you live in a society that thinks evil is relative. That there isn't such a thing as right and wrong. That's what happens when you lose a God. But I got news for you. I've been face to face with real evil. And it's evil. I've been face to face with somebody. They'll look at me right in the eye and they'll lie. In fact, they'll even get down their knees and accept Jesus as their Savior and cry out to me to help them. And it's a total con. That's what makes law enforcement officers so cynical about religion. Because... In prison, you even have books written on when you get out, this is how you con believers to support you so you can keep getting your drugs. I've seen that kind of material and talked to guys that came out of it. We live in a really jaded world. The church is the place that tells about the forgiveness of Calvary. The courtroom is the place that is about what is right and what is wrong and the just punishment of evildoers. You happen to live in one of the most precious governmental systems that's ever been invented. Paul worked in a system where you went before one judge. If Pilate says he hangs on the cross, he hung on a cross. In Roman law, by the way, if you are Frenchmen, Frenchmen are still under Roman law. And you don't have trial by jury. So your peers don't decide. As much as that system has quirks in it and loopholes, it's a great tradition of law because your peers, not a single judge in most cases, especially intense criminal cases, no one person gets to decide. A group of your peers impartially decide. And what I want you to know as believers, the fact that you're the children of heaven doesn't mean that if you steal 
you're not going to go to the meanest prison. You got that? If you hurt somebody recklessly and you're brought before the court of law, this text is saying, I submit. I also want you to see the other side, that they're there for your good. So the government has this dual role. They're to encourage the good and they're to punish those that are doing evil. And one of the things we need to do today is to pray for our governmental officials as they seek to do that. Because that is a heavy, awesome responsibility. And child abuse cases and how to make wise decisions. And, and policemen are making instantaneous decisions on a day-by-day basis. And one of the things we want to do today is to communicate that we're praying for them, that we're honoring them, that we respect them. Paul closes by saying this. He says in Romans 13, he closes this little section by saying, If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrong. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of your own personal conscience. So we're, don't just obey because we're afraid of getting caught, but we obey because the Spirit of God inside of us has moved us to obey. I've already talked to you about paying taxes. This also is why we pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And one of the things we want to do today is we need to ask ourselves is as an individual believer, am I showing respect? Am I putting myself under the authority of God? revealed in our governmental officials. And what it means to me is, like, do I keep speed limits? Am I really honest about my taxes? Like, one very concrete thing. There's a big debate right now. Colleagues that are in my profession are saying, the government has no right to look at church finances. Yes, it does. I want all of you to hear that. Yes, it does. Because there's a common good Paul is saying that the people of God are not exempt from proper accounting procedures. Did you hear me? That's real important. In our own church family, any one of you that want to ask Kim, Kim's our accountant. If you want to say the way every dime is spent in Melodian Bible Church, the books are totally open, right, Kim? And any governmental official that needs to see those documents, they have every right to see them. And I can't say, hey, I'm a man of God. Romans is saying that God gives the law and gives the governing authorities. And today, one of the things we want to do is to give honor to whom honors do. And one of the best ways we could do that is for us to pray for them. I also want to say to the governing officials, I want you to forgive us for how some of us in our church family have been in your courts. The Lord says that we as believers should try our own cases. If you want to get divorced, talk to the elders. You hear me? If you want to get divorced, your first responsibility is not to go to a lawyer. It's to talk to your pastor teachers. Amen? That wasn't too strong. (laughs) And I want you to understand I'm saying that because I love you. Some of you bypassed that. Anger dominates your life. You're after justice in your marriage. And you end up before a court of law. 
And that causes lawyers and judges, it's the honest goodness truth, I have friends that say, I would have believed in Jesus. I think Jesus is really something. But those that supposedly follow him lie and are bitter. And I spend my career trying to sort through their marriages, trying to sort through what they do with their kids. And I want to share something with you as a pastor teacher. Like, I ask the governing officials today, forgive us for when we haven't lived for Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that it's not the second person of the Trinity who stretched his arms out on Calvary for you. And it's not the Savior that rose again from the dead that causes any of our marriages to blow up or that causes us to lie. In fact, every one of the police officers and the lawyers and the judges, the whole way that you know deep in your soul what is right, it's because my precious Savior is the light that lighteth every man that comes to the world. So I would plead with anyone that doesn't know Jesus, don't turn away from Jesus because of the failures of his people. Because he never fails. Government officials, we love you. We respect you. It's such an incredible thing to know that when I go into a courtroom, I often see a brother or sister that knows Jesus And we believe that you're a servant of God. And we pray that God's blessing will be upon you in that place of ministry.